The subject of this talk today is silent and serene. Silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you. I might change that and say bright clarity appears within you and around you. These are the opening words of a text called Silent Illumination by the 12th century Chinese master Hongzhi Zhengzhui. We studied this text during our recent, recent three-month intensive training period, which we call Ango. And Ango means peaceful dwelling. And I'm uh, intending to continue that theme and practices arising from, directing us towards that theme for this next month. Hogan's going to be uh, working with the theme of the original teachings of the Buddha, uh, taking us back to the fundamental teachings of the Buddha. And of course, these are related. Ango means peaceful dwelling. Where can we find that peaceful dwelling? A peaceful dwelling that is always present, always available, always has been present. A peaceful dwelling that is closer than our heartbeat, closer than our breath, closer than the red and white blood cells that course through our body and nourish every cell, closer than the millions of organisms that live in our gut and keep us healthy and produce hormones that can keep us happy. If our gut is happy, then the rest of us is happy. Where is that peaceful dwelling that is always present, that is presence itself? Presence in, or rather as, the frost on the grass outside the Zendo windows. Present in, or rather as, the blue sky that appeared for the first time in weeks this morning. We had a glimpse yesterday, but today we have a bright blue sky. Presence as that sky, presence as the Big Bang, presence as black holes, presence as the Milky Way, presence as you. for a brief lifetime as you. And after you die, as everything that composed you. As everything that composed you, material and non-material. All of that which will go on to form other beings. Some we call living beings, and some we call not living, but other beings, other existences.
all these other existences emerging from that great silent presence. To become visible and audible and touchable as evidence of that great silent presence. If you've ever seen one of the Korean Zen masters talk, often they'll ask a koan, what is it? And then they go, or with a stick, a really loud bang. Trying to bring us to that presence. That great silent presence from which everything emerges and all of what emerges, all of this, everything, everything that each one of you sees around you in whatever room you're in, that is the ever-changing evidence of that silent presence, that original presence. This is the evidence. You are the evidence. It is simultaneously silent and serene and continuously manifesting. Manifesting as appearing and disappearing. Why don't we realize that? Why don't we see that clearly? What would happen if we did? That great, silent and serene presence is only covered up by our thoughts and emotions. So this is important. Please consider for a moment, what is the cause of my suffering? Right now, what is the cause of my suffering? Or yesterday, or this week? What is the cause of my suffering, my distress, my discomfort, my feeling that I don't belong on this planet, I don't belong in this country, or I don't belong in my family, or I don't belong in this body. What, what is the cause of that feeling? Is it the pandemic? Is that the source of our distress? Is it the changing recommendations of the CDC about how to cope with the pandemic? Could it be the vaccination enthusiasts or who've overestimated how wonderful the vaccine would be and now we have to get boosters and maybe second boosters? Is it the anti-vaxxers? Is it the politicians in Washington? Are they the source of my distress? Be honest. Be honest. When you read the news, Is this the source of your distress? Is it the Supreme Court? The people on the Supreme Court? Is it a particular person who happens to have entered your life experience? Is that the source of distress or of all of these sources of distress? Our practice asks us to take time and really ponder this.
So take a moment and look inward at this very moment. Am I completely at ease? Look inward. At this moment, am I completely at ease? How do I know if I'm not completely at ease? And if not completely at ease, which is true of most of us most of the time, then look inward for the current cause of your dis-ease. What is it? What's in there nagging away? Look inward for the source of your dissatisfaction with things as they are. Who or what? Can you identify as the source of your dissatisfaction with things as they are? I'm very interested in what anybody found. Is it a particular person or thing or event or what is it? Any clues? The microphone is coming. Anybody willing to volunteer their clues? Shokan raised his hand. Chokan was a good person to begin this because they understand what needs to be done so that you can hear me and also hear the microphone. So that's helpful. One answer is I was, I was sitting and feeling very pleasant and very happy um, and suddenly remembered that this will change when I started thinking about future things that might happen to make me not be happy and content and all of the conditions that might arise that would make me feel unsatisfied and then I started feeling very defensive of I feel very comfy and my body feels good and I feel like the light is right now. Um, and I was reminded of something that Sotan said years ago, which was today's good cup of coffee is the cause of tomorrow's bad cup of coffee. <laughs> and I wish that would have stuck with me. Uh-huh. Even when I have a good, I can start to try to protect what's good mm. from imagined enemies. Yes, so this, this internal posture of, oh, I'm so happy, but... Yeah, yeah. we're feeling it like... Oh, yes, I have to hold it. Right. Right. Yeah, so that's exactly what the Buddha said. Having what we want, but knowing that it will change. Yeah. Knowing it will be taken away from us. 
But then, then we have to look at, you see, what takes it away from us? What took it away from you in that case? Thinking about what could happen. Just yeah. Thought. It was just thought. Yeah, thought about possible futures. Hallucinations. Right? Hallucinations. <laughs> so, do you hear what they're saying? This is really, really important. We've got to dig down to what's actually at the bottom of suffering as it arises. As it arises, watching it. Watching happiness arise and then the destruction of that happiness by our mind, our own mind. Yeah. Anybody else? Any any little trails that you followed about the source of your unhappiness, your distress, your dis-ease, your discomfort right now? Rika? Uh, David. Well, I was going to say, this endless looping vexation, that to me, my mind just secretes these very <laughs> sticky thoughts about all kinds of oral health problems or uh, tension held in the body, and it just locks onto it, locks onto it. So, again, I think he's auto locked. <laughs> that kind of snapped when we were talking about that, and it was more just sitting in this, like, halo of fear and aversion, like it, like if I could put like a Russian doll of like abhorrence, like just like feeling small and clenched, like some embattled character in a movie, and just. Like everything is this existential threat. And I was struck the other day doing thought watching, just like, oh no, the water base is a kitchen. Like, oh no, the water base is going to overfill. Oh no, I'm cutting this too fine. Oh no, I'm dancing this too loose. Oh no, I'm not chopping fast enough for Shokan. Oh no, I'm going to cut my finger. Just. <laughs> Everything, some kind of mm, mm. Nobody's doing this to me. Nobody's doing it to you, yeah. <laughs> That's really important to discover. Your tooth, your tooth. So David's had a problem with his tooth and may have to have some work done on his tooth. But right this very, very, very moment, what's happening with your tooth? What is your tooth? There's a sensation of space. Sensation and space? So the, the sensation in this field of sensation you call my body. And what is, can you describe that sensation to me? Um, I guess like a, a throbbing. A throbbing. Warm or cold? Or neither? Not really. I guess warm. Warm. Uh-huh. Does it have a color? Orange. <laughs> ah, surprise! <laughs> Does it have a surface texture? I want to say spiky. Spiky, okay. And the, the throbbing, is it like constant or does it come and go? Uh, it has waves. It has waves. Mm -hmm. 
So, and the waves are like coming and going or getting stronger and getting weaker. Well, they're kind of like waves. They up, down, up, down, like that's the uh-huh. nature. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so do they keep the same rhythm or, or do they uh, go? The rhythm. Is there like a little different. song in there? Like, da, 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 strong, weak, strong, strong, weak, strong, like that? Sorry, I interrupted you. Um, that's okay. The rhythm is primarily dependent upon the po- my attention. It could be a mild ah. uh, background sensation or something which leads me to like feeling like my body is locked up and like I'm in a state of crisis. Uh-huh. Circling about me, do I need an emergency dentist? So then the so then the thoughts arise. Do I need an emergency dentist? But then you realize I actually have no clue. I yeah. think that's why it's such a profound vexation for me because <laughs> one, a certain kind of existential uh, annihilation threat, something attacking me, something failing me, my body right near. Yes, me, yes, me. yes. Everybody yeah. understands what you're talking about. <laughs> what? Everybody understands exactly what you're talking about. And, and there's nowhere to really turn right now for an answer until there is a chance to get an answer. And part of me feels like if I let go, if I relax the vigilance, then they won't be addressing the matter. Uh-huh. But there's really nothing to do after all. Right. So you're addressing, your mind is addressing the matter by creating suffering. Yes. Yes. See, that's really interesting. One of my co-teachers said, um, you know, when we feel shame or we feel the kind of distress that you're talking about, we think we're actually doing something about the problem. We're not. We're magnifying the problem. Yes. Yes, as you as you said when you started talking. Yeah. Because I can't then I mean do all the other things. I, I don't have the mental bandwidth to do all the other things I need to be healthy and to Well it, it just reduces life to being about this when <laughs> everything else is still true. This is just one thing which is happening. Right. And even if everything goes wrong and this infection spreads and it kills me. Well, what about the rest of my life? That that would still be like the story of chasing the strawberry when falling <laughs> down a cliff. Like, if you really get it, you're going to grab that strawberry while you're falling <laughs> up the cliff. And I'm just like, but I'm falling up the cliff. I'm right. falling up the cliff. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we don't get it, and that's why we suffer. <laughs> exactly right. So this is a beautiful example. You start with a throbbing sensation that comes and goes and changes and has a color right now. Maybe the color will be different tonight. Um, And it has a temperature, maybe that will change too. And if we just look at it as sensation, no sensation, sensation, weaker sensation, if we just look at sensation, then there's not a problem. It's just what's happening. But then as soon as we add in what you talked about so beautifully, adding in, and we get all the way to death. You know, it's like instantly the mind can go from A to Z, from sensation to death in an instant. It's amazing. And then that's all of that is our suffering. Yeah. 
Thank you. So let's see, somebody, oh, Rika is next. Yes. Yes. Why would we keep bringing up the painful memory over and over? Like I always say, why would we watch the same bad movie 250 times? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we wouldn't pay, rent it and pay for it and watch it 250 times. But we, we allow our mind to do that. So, as you said, there must be something pleasurable about it. That's a really interesting clue. What is it that's pleasurable about our suffering? and recalling our suffering, bringing it back up again. What is it that keeps, that has the mind saying, I don't want to be here, right? I mean, it's essentially, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be feeling these sensations or emotions or... But if, if we actually are here, we actually are here, it's very different. Yeah, even things that I have stories of, of unhappiness about in the future, I think in the moment it was, I was just doing it. Yes. It yes, exactly. That's the story I tell about when we, our house was unfinished out, out in the um, kind of dry washes outside of, of Del Mar, California, and our house was unfinished. And so creatures would come in, and I sat down on the toilet, and I looked down, and there was a rattlesnake next to my feet. And I just, like, out of the bathroom. <laughs> and then, you know, put a sign on the door, because my husband was away and coming back, and like, don't go in the bathroom, there's a rattlesnake in the bathroom. And he came back, and he's a herpetologist, actually. So he went, and he said, no, I don't find any rattlesnake. So I went back in, I said, yes, right there, look. <laughs> There's a rattlesnake in the bathroom. So then afterwards, I, I, I would go in the bathroom and I'd be really jumpy, like, like lift my feet up, you know, like, is it there? So that was the distress. There was no distress in, actually in the moment of discovering the rattlesnake. And so then I had to reason with my mind. If I went back in there and the rattlesnake happened to be there and it happened to bite me, I would just, there would just be the sensations of, ow, right? And then what? Then I run and get help. So it's, 
it, but this suffering that kept going on, like, oh no, there might be, oh no, there, oh no, what if, oh, that was the suffering, not the actual events. And even if I had been bitten, it wouldn't have been the actual events. That would have been like surprise. Ouch. What? Oh, a snake. Oh, now I got to really worry. It's a rattlesnake, you know, like, like that. So we just have to watch that happening. David just described it so well with throbbing sensation and then, yeah. But there's something pleasant or something that draws us to that. It's really interesting, isn't it? So this is, this is our practice. And this is exactly what the Buddha did. As far as we know, the Buddha wasn't particularly distressed by the life that they were living. What was going on in their life, we're told. I mean, and this is partly a parable for us, right? We're told that the Buddha had an ideal life. We actually have quite an ideal life. That there were many kinds of delicious food. We have lots of delicious food. Beautiful clothing. Look at this. $600 robe right here. The best education, entertainment, anytime they asked. A beautiful wife and maybe even a bunch of concubines. They leave that out of the story, but probably they had a bunch of concubines. And the Buddha wasn't compelled to leave all of that because he himself was suffering but because of witnessing the suffering of other people and how witnessing that suffering pierced her heart. That's very interesting, isn't it? That's pretty profound, that somebody whose life is ideal would undertake such an amazing journey by seeing the suffering of other people and taking it to heart. The Buddha took suffering as a personal koan, believing that if the source of suffering could be found, then a medicine or a treatment or a cure could also be found or invented. That would put an end to fundamental human unhappiness. Fundamental human unhappiness. Just take that phrase and watch it happening in the world and in us. And after years of study with several renowned masters and also years of inward study, the Buddha found a path, a way to learn to disconnect from what was causing suffering. Not, not from pain, of course, to live as a human being is to have pain. And we know the Buddha had pain. He had back pain and so on but to disconnect from the suffering that makes that pain, as David described, something huge and ending in death. Today, death. Or tonight, when you're sleeping and nobody knows it until they go in and find your cold body. <laughs> so the Buddha didn't find a way to disconnect from the world. We know that the Buddha walked thousands of miles teaching all kinds of people, as one source says, all kinds of obstinate living beings who brought their suffering to him for 45 years after he awakened to the source of suffering and realized how to completely relieve that suffering. 
So back to that question, what is the source? Is it the pandemic? Is the pandemic making you ill right now? Are you ill? Or is it your mind that's ill with COVID worries? What is the source? American politicians or international leaders? See if your mind sticks on any of these names as I say these names. Trump, Biden, Marjorie Taylor Greene, OAC, Pelosi, Cruz, Putin, Bolsonaro. Those are just sounds, right? Those are sounds, but what happens when we hear them? Can you detect the feeling tone that begins the emotion? Like, hmm, hmm. And if you're not Brazilian, probably the sound Bolsonaro means nothing. But if you're Brazilian, it means a lot. And where are they right now, all these people? Are they in your house? Are they here in the Zendo? Are they arguing with us? Are they arguing with each other right here? But we carry our knowledge about what we read and hear about them in our minds, and that causes us suffering. The first requirement of Zen practice is to realize that suffering resides in your mind, not out here in our minds. The first step in practice, have you recognized that your own mind is the cause of your distress, not the external world? The external world can be the cause of, you know, things we have to deal with. But not of our fundamental distress. And have you realized that your own mind is where the cure can be found? With practice, with earnest practice, with sustained practice. Sometimes people bemoan like, why does practice take so long? I want to be enlightened already. Yes, we all feel that way. But we're, we're working with our lifetime, decades of an, a, a mind that's trained to be distressed, or allowed to be distressed, never had any training. And then all the generations behind us, too, that pass those sources of distress down, or those patterns of distress, those patterns of there's the problem out there. The clues as to the most important of aspect of practice that medicine for curing that fundamental human illness of dissatisfaction, suffering, distress, are everywhere. And they're all, when I, once I started looking, I was just amazed. Everywhere, everywhere in our chants. Dogen Zenji says, think of non-thinking. He tells us how to sit down, how to arrange our body, and so on. And then he says, think of non-thinking. How? Non-thinking. So I don't know, I've heard that chant, San Francisco Zen Center chants that a lot, the Fukanza Zengi. 
for years. But now those words just stand out to me, non-thinking. Silent and serene, forgetting words. Forgetting words, there's a direct instruction. This is from Master, Chan Master Shen Yen. The purpose of investigating Zen is to illuminate the mind and see your self-nature. To turn the light bulb on in, in here and see what's going on in here and see your self-nature. You must eradicate the mind's impurities. And, and as I mentioned the other day when we were reading this, impurities doesn't carry any connotation of sin which it does in Judeo-Christian traditions. It's just a fact, impurities. Just like you wash the rice to get the bugs out of it, right? You must eradicate the mind's impurities so as to personally perceive the true face of your self-nature. The mind's impurities are wandering thoughts and attachments. If you can leave behind wandering thoughts and attachments, then you will attain the wisdom and virtue of the Buddhas, which is within you. Otherwise, you remain an ordinary suffering sentient being. How do we eradicate wandering thoughts? Shakyamuni Buddha taught much on this subject. His simplest and most direct teaching is the word stop. From the expression, stopping is bodhi. Among the many things that Bodhidharma and the sixth ancestor taught to those who came to study with them, none is more valuable than the saying, put down the myriad entangling conditions, let not one thought arise. It's everywhere once you begin to look. So non-thinking, let's try that right now. Let's try non-thinking. So you... Uh, bring your awareness to your mind, wherever you feel that is, up here in the top little ball or wherever you feel it is. Bring your awareness to your mind. And just like a school teacher in a classroom where the kids are getting out of control, running around, punching each other, etc., you just say, stop. Stop, everybody. Put your heads down on your desks. And stop. And let's just appreciate the silence. Let's forget that we even know words and appreciate the peaceful silence when we stop. And perhaps you can feel thoughts hovering around the edges, trying to make their way in. Just observe. And whatever little bit of extra effort is necessary, just say stop. No, not interested. 
it's just a little bit of effort, or eventually it becomes a little bit of effort. I, uh, my analogy is like you have a restless puppy that needs to, to sleep, or a restless child who's having a temper tantrum just because they're so tired. And you just lay them down and gently put your hand on them, that little bit of gentle pressure, so that they calm down, calm down, calm down, and finally rest. Relax and rest. That's what we have to do with our mind. So like an imaginary hand, reaching out and just calming the mind down. Settle down, settle down. No need to think. Let's just open our awareness to peace. peace of a quiet mind. And at first, thoughts will intrude. Thoughts will come in. And then, you know, there's this discovery that it's carried me away and you can be interested in following the chain of thought. How did I get from a sound in the room to Coca-Cola? You know, like, how did that happen? It's kind of interesting to see how the mind jumps from one thing to another. Um, But then you come back again and settle the mind down. Open it up into this silent presence that includes everything but is not drawn away by anything. And at first, maybe that's possible for a minute, maybe five minutes, maybe in a, in a session, in a, in a long retreat, by the fifth day, for a longer period, maybe occasionally for a whole period. And gradually, gradually, we come to trust that instead of the craziness of our mind, desperate to prevent us from dying. And desperate to prevent us from suffering and at the same time creating the suffering. So however you find a dialogue with your mind, get it to try settling down and opening up into peace, peaceful silence. Please do that for periods of time and keep bringing those periods of time into your life, not just your seated meditation, but here and there during the day into your life. It doesn't take long. Once you learn the trick of switching from thinking function of the mind to the awareness function of the mind, the medicine lies within and just takes using it.